This episode is full of spoilers and contains some not-so-super language. citizens welcome to the fortress of potitude i'm dave michaels i'm brian betts and we are the cape podcasters and this is the show that's gonna make a baby <laughs> the old-fashioned way that's right two daddies uh, an uncle and a nephew launching uh a nuclear baby into the sun into our nuclear family is that how it works absolutely I mean, this movie scientifically is just spot on, airtight. We'll get there. Everything about this movie is spot on, airtight. What are you talking about? I, I feel like the word modern masterpiece gets thrown around a lot, all willy nilly yeah. and loosey goosey. Yeah. And I feel like the people who have said it have never seen the movie we're talking about today, which is Superman 4 The Quest for Peace from 1987, directed by some guy named Sidney J. Fury. He did Ladybugs. Some guy named Sidney J. Fury. <laughs> Some guy. I'm giving him no respect. No respect at all. That's what you did there. Because Ladybugs. That's right. Brian, this is possibly our most requested movie to cover. And we are doing it today. Because this is our last episode before our break. Before I go off and have another kid. I am so excited to talk about this thing. I'm extremely excited to talk about this movie. Have you ever seen it before? Hell no. And I feel like that's been a mistake on my part. <laughs> Dave, have you seen this before? Hell no. And I feel like I'm having an existential crisis about this movie because there's a life. It's the Dave life. And there's a pre-Superman 4 The Quest for Peace and now a post-Superman <laughs> 4 The Quest for Peace. And I'm really yeah. curious to see what my second act looks like now. Yeah, that brief intermission, and then it's just like, hey, this is this is the new life. This is we're now living in the AQFP. That's right. <laughs> I have a feeling we have a lot to say about this movie. <laughs> if you've never seen this thing before, it is on HBO Max streaming. Go pause it here. Go enjoy. Go. It's ninety minutes. It's real easy to get through. Weirdly enough, they cut. 45 minutes, that should give you an idea of what this movie may be, where they cut legitimately a third of it and said, all right, good enough. They thought it was going to be such a hit that the theaters would want to run it more times a day to increase their box office numbers. Let's just dive headfirst into this thing. I feel like it's the only way to do it with this one. Right, headfirst into the shallow end of the pool. The opening credits swing by the screen, leaving a weird red or blue cape trail, including one specific weird credit that I've never seen before. <laughs> Motion picture series initiated by Alexander Salkin. We've talked about him before. He's the man who got this series onto the screen with Superman the movie. And then he's inevitably the one who fucked up additional <laughs> installments of Superman on screen in movie form. Yeah. Every time it's gotten a little bit worse. Or better, depending on how you look at it. You know what? That, there's an argument to be made there, I think. And I feel like we're going to make that argument this entire time we discuss this movie. <laughs> so we find ourselves in space, 
You've heard of deep space? Well, this is cheap space. (laughs) A Russian cosmonaut is servicing the outside of the space station, singing his heart out. Singing Sinatra! He absolutely is, but like like a Russian Sinatra. Right! A rogue piece of space debris hits him and sends him flying into space, and the space station starts spinning uncontrollably. It's not great! It's not what you want. Enter Superman, Christopher fucking Reeve. Yeah, I'm giving him the fucking, even in this movie. He deserves it. Because he is acting his face off. He is the one who came up with the idea for this movie and brought it to the studio. And the studio said, hey, that's so good, we'll give you $36 million to make this movie. And he said, yippee, I'm Christopher Reeve, this is gonna be great! Ain't nothing terrible gonna happen today. And then the producers of this movie said, cool, we'll take only 17 million of that 36 million, and we're going to use the rest on other projects because surely this won't bomb. (laughs) Keep in mind that the 1978 Superman, the movie, $55 million budget. We're going to do this one on 17. Right. (laughs) So Superman stops the spinning, retrieves the spaceman, puts him in the shuttle. And he closes the door of this shuttle like he's a chauffeur about to bring his friend to like the airport or something. Like it's just a door <laughs> in outer space and it just Watch your fingers closes. Now. <laughs> like surely there's something else that must be done like airlock wise or something. No, just slam it shut. Okay. <clears throat> Logic. Stay out there. You can't you stay, get all You get the out way of there with here. you stay out there with subtlety. You guys Logic aren't allowed and in here today. Not invited to this screening. Dave, I already have what I think is a Cape Dying to be trivia fact. Oh, already? <laughs> okay. There were a lot of them this week. A lot of them. I submitted either three or four, and I did not look to see what got approved. So, as always, very exciting. Not sure what is and what is not caped, but let's just assume that everything I say today is caped. <laughs> okay. <laughs> when Superman saves the Soviet cosmonaut, he speaks Russian. The subtitles do not translate what Superman says. He actually says... One should stay where it's not dangerous, comrade. Until next time, until we see each other again, be happy and fuck you. That sounds very caped. Doesn't it? And it is absolutely not me. If that is you, please let us know. Please let us know, because that's a very good one. Yes, it is. What if it's true? How cool would that be? Is that that's how they slipped in the F word? In a PG movie. Just in a different language, and Christopher Reeve is just going... Wink, ding, I said fucking Russian. (laughs) As Clark Kent, Superman returns to the Kent farm in Smallville, which is being put up for sale. He goes into the barn, and he listens to a message from his Kryptonian mother, which explains that the green crystal that he's about to pick up is the very last source of Kryptonian energy, and that he should use it wisely. Now, we're pretty trained to believe that green things are bad. Yes. With Superman. That's, That's generally the consensus. So he just naturally grabs this thing with his meaty paws and just tucks it away in his jacket pocket all casually. Yeah, he's just like, I'm going to slip this in the pocket because there's a car coming. And we know that because of, I think, what was supposed to be X-ray vision. I think that's what it's supposed to be, too. (laughs) He looks at a wall and then the wall just disappears. They're like, ah, (laughs) X-rays. But it's like a glitchy disappear. Right. So it seems both accidental and intentional. It's like if you tried to do a, a shot of x-ray vision on no budget. Yeah, that's, that's about right. The car pulling up on the farm is of his realtor, 
who tells Clark that a big company wants to buy the land unseen. So naturally, Clark and his realtor have a catch. As you do whenever your realtor says, hey, someone's coming to buy this here place. You throw the old baseball around. Clark refuses to sell to anyone who isn't going to use the property as a farm, though, because, you know, farmers. That's right. Bump, 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 bump. It's not for sale. He's making a stand right now. Farmersonly.com. That's <laughs> right. Do you think there's an OnlyFarmers.com, kind of like an OnlyFans, but just for farmers? I'd rather not know, but now I'm super intrigued. Like, you go to the website and it plays that Tractor Sexy song or whatever. Yeah, that... that Kenny Chesney one. I didn't know who it was, and I was okay uh -huh. with that until you told me. And now, well, now you have to know forever. I, I do know that for forever. That is now ingrained in my mind. And there's a bit of an existential crisis going on in my life right now, where there yeah. is a pre knowing that was Kenny Chesney, and now there's a post knowing it's Kenny right. Chesney, and I'm really looking forward to my second act while I'm chugging along. That's right. <laughs> 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 Lyrics, they're important. Are they? <laughs> so now we know there's probably going to be a whole lot more about this impending real estate sale later in the movie. What's that? N no? They won't even return to the Kent farm? No, oh, okay. All right. Storytelling, you stay out of here. Get out. All the way out. <laughs> I don't know if this farm was ever sold or not. No clue. No idea. It's been in limbo. Somehow, the 45 minutes cut, had nothing to do with this farm, from what I understand. <laughs> it's even better. They're just like, yeah, we need to bring in the farm so we can pick up this green crystal that's good for him. We'll get there. We absolutely will get there. While all this is happening, Lex Luthor, Gene Hackman, Gene fucking Hackman. Absolutely. He's working on a chain gang, being yelled at by his fellow prisoners and the guards for, you know, humming some Mozart. They don't like it. They don't like the classicals. They're not, not fans of the classics. A car pulls up, and the guards take an interest in the fine, fine, super fine sound system. Now, whenever we appreciate somebody in a film, we always give them the middle name of fucking. That's right. But we have never, ever determined what the opposite of that would have been. We usually just <laughs> give them their name, and we just say, oh, they don't deserve the fucking. Right. I feel like now's the appropriate time to determine what the opposite would be for this character showing up. <laughs> The opposite of fucking. On wordhippo.com, if you type in what is the opposite of fuck, it pops up with abstain, refrain, withhold, do without, separate, hold out, forego, forbear, uncouple, and divide. Okay, I can see that. But I think that maybe the opposite of fucking is just John Cryer. <laughs> it is John Manly Man Cryer. John John Cryer Cryer. John... <laughs> Who, ironically enough, if you're up to date on your CW shows, is the Arrowverse version of Lex Luthor. Yes, he is. But here, he is Lenny Luthor. Yeah, he is. He talks like a surfer, dude, dad. And why? For all the reasons. John Cryer, with this haircut, I don't even know where to begin. Do you like Flock of Seagulls? I mean, it is 87. Uh -huh. so <laughs> It's weirdly appropriate. It really is. While being the most inappropriate thing I've ever seen. It's offensive. Like, I'm not a church goer, and I'm debating going to church on this <laughs> Sunday. Plot twist, it turns out John Cryer was the half man the whole time. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I want to like say we're not against John Cryer, the human being. No, actually, I think he's he's quite lovely. We're just against the John Cryer performing this role of Lenny Luther. It's that bad. Yeah, man. It's whoa, <laughs> <laughs> Uncle Alexei. <laughs> So John Cryer tells the prison guards to get in and check out the sound system that they're admiring so much. And then he uses a remote control to lock the guards in the car and send it careening into a quarry. And that's when it's revealed that he's Lex's dumb nephew, Lenny Luther. And he breaks his restraints, and the two of them get real excited about, oh, we're going to get Superman. (laughs) (laughs) Right on, dude. We're going to get Superman. And I think I have another... Caped. No, this one I know. This one I know is a caped eye. Okay. <laughs> the caped podcasters reviewed this film and were upset that the smoke show Ned Beatty was not in it. It's true. Very true. I'm upset. I, I can't believe you would replace him with a John Cryer. <laughs> if you're Ned Beatty watching this movie, you're going to have two reactions. It's, thank God I wasn't in that, and you fucking replaced me with John Cryer? <laughs> Whoa, like, dude. Unbelievable. Choices were made. Dude. Meanwhile, back in Metropolis, Lois Lane, Margot Kidder, is on a runaway subway car that gets stopped by Superman, who then takes the time to remind everyone that the subway is still the safest and most reliable means of public transportation. It is not! No, the the driver had like a heart attack or something. Or something, and people get pushed onto those tracks daily. Yeah, it, it's a regular occurrence. But... Still the safest and most reliable form of public transportation. I like how he says public transportation because it's a throwback to when he does the airplane thing. That's right. Or is that a throw forward? We're throwing all around. Is it Superman Returns that he says, so airplane is still the most safest form of travel or whatever? It might be. Or is it in the past? I don't know. Superman's a goddamn Boy Scout and I love him. (laughs) Hey, wait, 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 wait. Before, Before I leave, let me just... Help all these people get on the next subway that shows up. (laughs) Over at the Daily Planet, Clark arrives to discover that there's a media mogul named David Warfield, played by Sam Wanamaker, and his daughter Lucy, played by Mariel Hemingway. They've arrived to take over the newspaper. They've they've bought it out from whoever owned it prior to this, and they have plans to turn it into a sleazy tabloid with sensationalist headlines. All sorts of fake news. Yep, we needed this for reasons. Oh, absolutely we needed this. When you barely have an A plot, it's a good idea to have a B plot. Is that how it goes? I think so. I okay. feel like our A plot's feeling a little weak. Why don't we, we introduce like a B plot, maybe a C plot down the line? We'll distract people from the fact that the A plot is not very strong. Perfect. I like this direction that we're going in. Clark tells Lacey that his primary objective as a journalist is delivering the truth. And she asks Lois if this guy's for real. And Lois is like, yeah, he's a giant dweeb and he'll never like you. And she's like, but I'm very rich. Right away, she's so likable to the audience. Yeah, she's like, oh, he'll like me because I have money and these giant shoulder pads. They're the biggest shoulder pads in the world. They are, but an interesting thing happens with those shoulder pads. It's called character development and we'll get there. We absolutely will. Lois, Clark, Perry White of course, played by Jackie Cooper once again, and the new owners of the planet gather around a news broadcast. Peace talks break down between the world's superpowers and the president, played by Robert Beatty, no relation, sadly, appears on TV to say that America will, quote, strive to become second to none in the nuclear arms race. This seems like a really important message that the president is delivering. 
It does. That he cut in midday, and even Clark goes, well, I don't think this is going to be very good. And everybody's like, oh, Clark, you're always so negative. And then the owners of the of the Daily Planet are like, I hope it's terrible. Oh, they are waiting. You could see, like, they have the Lubriderm on their desk ready to go. <laughs> Clear my afternoon and bring me more tissues. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> so we cut to some random classroom. The random classroom of the teacher turning the TV off. Right. Mid-presidential speech and saying how bad everything is. Yeah. The teacher's like... <laughs> What can we, as an underpaid educator and a group of 10-year-olds, do about mutually assured destruction? And she's not asking this rhetorically. No, she wants answers now. She wants an actual answer in order to save the world. She suggests writing a letter to their congressman, and the kids appropriately laugh at her. As they should! This scene is insane! It's absolutely bonkers. I like how she, like, walks into the middle of this room. She's like, no, kids, I'm serious. What are we (laughs) going to do? It's like, we're in PS 118. We're in no position to do anything. Yeah, we're not the people you should be turning to right now, lady. Maybe you should write your congressman. You're literally the only one in this room who can vote for at least another two terms. (laughs) And then she singles out one particular student, Jeremy, played by Damian McLawhorn, because I felt like including his name so you could find him (laughs) because of his great acting skills. Skills, huh? That's what we're going with. Oh, yeah. This kid this kid knows how to enunciate and, and shout. He's really good at enunciating, though. The only two things you need for acting, really. Like Gary Oldman in Friends, how he's spitting all over Joey. It's like that type of enunciation. Yeah. yeah. This Jeremy kid, he's like, Congress, I'd write a letter to Superman. And everyone laughs at him, and he's really offended by it. Yeah, but it's weird because, like, how has nobody else considered that maybe Superman can help here? He's saved the world for three whole movies now. It's true. So maybe Jeremy's on to something. Jeremy might be the smartest kid in the classroom. If he weren't such a little prick, I bet more people would listen to him. Yeah, he's just sitting in his corner, staring out the window, and he goes, I know how to fix it. And they're like, what, Santa Claus? He's like, no, asshole, Superman, he's real. How cool would it have been if he said, yeah, fucking Santa Claus, Henry? <laughs> Santa Claus is coming to town and he's taking your nukes. And when I send him my list of things we're going to do, I'm going to include you dying on it, Henry. So I hope you're good this year. So Santa (laughs) keeps you alive. He's going to Santa slay your ass, Henry. Santa slay your ass. And you know what? That could be the 45 minutes. For all I care is Jeremy yelling at fake Henry about how he's going to write to Santa Claus to save the world from this nuclear whatever it is. I love it. Just... Give me more Jeremy and his enunciation. (laughs) He's so good at it. Meanwhile, Lex and Lenny go to the Superman exhibit at the museum. Yeah, you heard all that correctly. (laughs) The Superman display. Hey, we have a whole exhibit, whole show about Superman, especially this one piece of his one strand of hair holding up a thousand pound weight. We have this whole Superman exhibit, which consists of, as you said, the hair and the weight. And we're just supposed to believe that it's a thousand pound weight because it says a thousand pounds on it. Well, I mean, that's how weights work. But then behind that is just a paper mache Superman. The giant paper mache Superman. It's enormous. Tim Burton would be like, yes, please. Thank you. <laughs> what a display, though. What a display. This single strand of hair holding up this giant weight, uh, yet still easily cut by a pair of bolt cutters. That's right, as we're going to learn. <laughs> because that's that's the plan. Lex is going to. That's not the plan, Brian. That's the type of movie we're in right now. <laughs> I'm just going to 
crash open this this display case, cut the hair, take it with me. I feel like it needs to be said that whenever we tell logic and storytelling and subtlety to stay outside, it's a metaphor. They're not actual things. This is us just talking. It's a joke. Oh. But we're in the type of movie right now <laughs> that is doing these things seriously. It just says, yes. $17 million budget. We have half of what we need <laughs> to do this properly. Fuck it. We're going to go for it. Yeah. And $6 million of that's just going to Chris. Over that's here. right. So basically, we have $11 million to make this movie. You see all $11 million on screen. I'll give them that. That's true. They actually might have stretched that budget pretty far. They might have. Very optimistic of them. Oh, yes. Naturally, Lex is going to do some DNA-based shenanigans on this hair and make a superpowered clone to fight Superman for him. We assume. We assume. Back at the Daily Planet, Jeremy's letter to Superman arrives and Lois gives it to Clark. You know, because any of that makes sense. Is this the same day? Because it feels like the same day. It feels like the same day. It's like, hey, so Jeremy was like, fuck you guys. I'm going to write this letter to Superman anyway and send it to the news. And when it gets to the news, news, they give it to Clark. They give it to Clark. For reasons. Because they're like, we need to move this plot forward immediately. So I don't know. Choices were made. And I like how Clark is like reading this and he has to sit down because he's like, one boy, one random kid at PS 118. This 10 year old. Wrote me a letter. Not me, uh, Superman. He wrote Superman a letter. Oh, that's right. Thank you for handing it to me, Lois. I don't know how you knew to give it to me. She does not know that he's Superman. No, that should be the, stated. The end of Superman 2, he kissed away all of her memories. We'll get there. Yeah, we will. Long story short, Jeremy's like, hey, Superman, get rid of all the nukes. And that's when Lacey is like, we need to make this kid a celebrity. And then force Superman to make a decision about this, you know, so we can sell papers. What a plot (laughs) isn't it wow so we cut to a press conference where jeremy is just like i just wish superman would have said yes and then smash cut to the planet running a headline superman says drop dead to kid i have to imagine that harvey levin was watching this movie and was just rooting for the warfields the entire time (laughs) oh i know who to identify with this in this movie i got it and maybe that's why Harvey Levin is such a piece of shit. <laughs> oh, I think I found the hero in this story. For those who don't know, Harvey Levin's the TMZ guy who the camera just zooms in on all the time as he asks his pointed questions. Oh, yeah. He's got his big old jug of beverage. Whatever it is in there. It's huge. Why do you need that much liquid? It's enormous. So Superman has to really struggle with this now that he's decision-making has been brought into the light of the public, and they're like, what are you going to do, Superman? Anything? He's apparently not allowed to intervene in global politics. Who knew? (laughs) I had no idea. He's allowed to spin the Earth backwards and change time. Right. Global politics. No, no, no. (laughs) Interfere in politics. So he seeks guidance from the Kryptonian elders at the Fortress of Solitude, and they're like, you should get the hell off of that planet. They're not wrong, though. They're not. He's like... If you let them put their faith in you, they'll be betrayed, betrayed, betrayed. Why are they going to be betrayed? I have no idea. They wanted a cool word to echo, I think. That's very fair, because that's the exact thing I thought, too. It's like, who's being betrayed here? But if they trust Superman, they're going to be betrayed. Are you saying Superman's going to betray the entire world? How? Interestingly enough, I think the biggest betrayal Superman could do would be leaving that planet. (laughs) That's right. Like they told him to do. There's a reason the Kryptonians are dead. Right. They science badly, 
and didn't listen to the one green bagel man, and now they're all dead. <laughs> it's funny because like they kind of heavily imply that it's a similar situation to what's happening on Earth here with with the nukes, and it's like, well, that's not exactly what happened because we saw the first movie. We did. It's actually not even close to what happened. You got eaten by a sun. Yeah, but you know, maybe it's the same thing. <laughs> Logic, stop trying. Stop trying to get it back in here. Logic, go. Oh, keeps trying to creep back in. <laughs> Keep him out. You don't open that door. You don't know what's going to happen. So Lois stops by Clark's place because they're supposed to go to some event. And Clark's like, you know, I'm not really feeling it. I got a lot of my mind. I think I need some fresh air. I like how he says, I think I'm just going to sit around and think. And the weird part about him saying that is, you believe that's exactly what he's going to do. Yeah, for sure. literally sit around and just think. I got to ponder on this one for a minute. So Clark brings Lois outside onto the veranda for some fresh air, and then he just drags her off the roof of his apartment. And I love how Margot Kidder's just like, oh no, Clark, it's not that bad! <laughs> like, she thought it was a legit suicide attempt. Yeah, and he dragged her with him. And as they're falling, you know, he does his quick change into Superman, and she's like, Superman? You gotta figure that Clark loves that trick. Oh, yeah. Like, he can pull that anytime he wants. He's like, oh yeah, we're falling, and now I'm Superman, and... Superman with glasses on, but you still don't seem to get it. You don't get it at all. And then they go for a fly around the world, and this time she doesn't recite any poetry. Thank God. He does drop her, though. Yeah, it's kind of weird because they're flying very, very quickly, or so the strings attached to them told me. Sure. And she just goes like, doesn't so much drop, but she keeps going forward, and he's just laughing like, ha, 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 if I don't catch you, you will die. Ha, 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 ha. Your leg going solo? <laughs> what? It's ridiculous. And it goes it's absolutely on for insane. so long. It goes on for way too long. And when they get back to his place, he gives her the old mind eraser kiss again, which begs the question, how often does he do this to her? Often. Her brain must just be scrambled at this point. And she remembers certain things. She's like, oh, yeah, your name's Kal-El. And he's like, cool, got to kiss you. So you forget everything. But then, like, you know, he takes the glasses off, and she remembers stuff, and then she forgets it again, and this poor woman and her brain is just mush. She's just getting abused. Yes. By Superman the Gaslight Kisser. That's right. (laughs) This is probably a caped IMDb trivia fact. All right. Another. This is terrific. Jim Henson had trouble staying out of frame while puppeteering Margot Kidder during production. Henson had stated... (laughs) That this was his worst puppeteering in his career, as Kidder's mouth just kind of did whatever it wanted to. It did whatever it wanted to in this thing. <laughs> like, she might as well be a Canadian on South Park with whatever she's doing with that jaw. This scene in particular, where she says something like, why am I out here freezing my butt off? And, like, the, the way her mouth moves does not match up to the words that are being said. I'm like, how are you functioning? I don't know. Like, I've seen... More believable talking in Kung Pao Enter the Fist. And that's entirely <laughs> dubbed. I don't understand how Margot Kidder's face works. I, I don't either. You know what she needs to do? She needs to take enunciation lessons from Jeremy. From Jeremy? Because <laughs> that kid's got it figured out. Oh, yes, he does. He's going to be a star one day. Speaking of which, Superman is going to go visit little Jeremy, who's getting his picture taken by Jimmy Olsen for reasons. She's like, hey, we need to get more pictures of this Jeremy kid eating eating a hot dog for the paper. Right, and Superman just lands there. 
and he grabs Jeremy and says, let's go, Jeremy. Jimmy, you too. I need you to capture all of what I'm about to do because I am like, so heroic. Yeah, so Superman takes little Jeremy on a walk to the UN building where he declares that Earth is his home and proposes to do what no one else can or will, rid the world of all nuclear weapons. I want to hit the pause button real fast. Okay. Because I love this scene. It's a really interesting scene. How he's walking through all the crowds going to the UN, everyone's just applauding him. Everyone. There's not a whole lot of people. (laughs) Right, but it's still everyone. It doesn't feel like 42nd Street is what I'm saying. I agree with you 100% there. But even when he walks into the UN assembly room or whatever, like everyone stands up there applauding, he approaches the bench. He's like, oh, I want to speak about nuclear weapons. And the president lady's just like, well, you're going to need a sponsor because you are a man without a country. And everyone raises their hand. It's lovely. It is lovely. It's also like, you're not just going to let Superman talk, really, lady. They kind of deserve to die, don't they? <laughs> it's like, oh, it looks like plenty of people want you to talk. Okay, go ahead. Can you imagine if like one country just like stood up and just like, no, he's not allowed to talk. He didn't follow all the traditions with the pudding in the arm. He's not allowed to be here. <laughs> oh, yeah, I don't think I'm going to like it if he has to say something over here, you know? Here's Canada again, speaking out of line. <laughs> Talking about their pudding and their rules. Their dry soda. <laughs> what does that even mean? I don't know. Have you ever had Canada dry? I have. It is wet. They don't even know what they're talking about, and they don't know what bacon is. They have no clue what bacon is. Well, why don't you go down to the Hojo's and let Superman talk there? Get some Timbits. <laughs> I'll stand up. He'll talk uh, all day about those nuclear weapons, eh? While he's facing on those Timbits with his iced <sighs> cap. <laughs> Tim Hortons is a treat, goddammit. I have actually never been to a Tim Hortons. The only one I've ever been to was in the basement of Penn Station, weirdly enough, in New York. That is weird. I heard they still have Howard Johnson's up there, though, so. All right. Get all the flavors, or whatever Howard Johnson's is today. Get your flavors all dressed. All dressed chips, though. Are delicious. They're the best. They really are the the greatest thing thing ever. Canada has figured out that in healthcare. But (laughs) But besides, well, hockey's great, too. Hockey, oh, yeah. Yeah, so besides that. all dressed hockey and healthcare, they really haven't figured anything out. For, I watched a lot of curling during the Olympics. Doesn't their money smell like maple syrup? That's pretty cool too. Is that true? I think like their high bills smell like like maple syrup. Like you scratch can and scratch sniff. and sniff their money. Canada logic has once again left the chat. It has, but isn't their money called like the loony also? Yeah, it, well. If you smell like maple syrup, you'd be a little loony, too. I guess so. Maybe I love Canada. You know what? The more I talk about it, but the bacon. They got to fix the bacon. The bacon. Of course the bacon's a big problem. John Candy died after making Canadian bacon because he's like, fuck this. (laughs) Damn. Yeah, I bet you didn't see this one going this way. So I tried to Google maple money, and the first thing I came (laughs) up with is maple money, which is the Canadian source for personal finance. <laughs> they actually have a financial business that's called Maple Money, not a sponsor. Come on down to Maple Money. Put your money in the tree. It's a literal <laughs> tree. We call it the savings tree. Wild. You can branch out your opportunities, eh? I said you did there. I'm not some sap, all right? They say the acorn doesn't fall far from the, the hockey puck on the face-off. <laughs> so come on down to, to Hojo's. Get your Timbets and your money in the tree. <laughs> <laughs> can't get Tim bits at Hojo's. You gotta go to. 
You'd actually have to go to. That's where you're drawing the line on, on this That's insane it. scenario. That's right where you're there. Drawing the line. Yep. And loonies don't smell like maple. Just the $100 bill smells like maple. That's still pretty awesome, though. It is awesome. It's better than our $100 bills, which just smell like cocaine. They all smell like cocaine. I don't know I don't what it's about. Like they all smell like cocaine. That's not even our chief export. No, you're right. It's opioids. You don't need to use a $100 bill to smell op- opioids. No, you don't. You just need to go to a high school anywhere They're in any town America. Everywhere. So, yeah, Superman, he's going to rid the world of nukes. And it, clearly the way to do this is just have everybody fire off their, their warheads and he'll just collect them in this giant net he has in space. I was watching this happen. And like he's grabbing the, the space missiles and literally dragging them into a net. And none of them go off. Like, you have to imagine they're bumping into each other and right. everything, unless they like, took out the detonators. I don't know how this worked. No idea. But he's just got a giant bag like of a, nuclear like missile. moon-sized bag full of nukes that, again, he did not just pick up from their storehouses. They were fired at him. And then he just hammer tosses it into the sun. As you do? I guess so. <laughs> like, space is a really, really big place. <laughs> why risk throwing that many nuclear missiles into the thing that killed your planet like i understand it wasn't this right. sun but a sun like as a kryptonian the last thing you should ever fuck with is a sun uh, yeah exactly and yet here we are throwing shit at the sun he deserves to be in candor for life he really does dave i have another imdb trivia fact hit me may or may not be caped okay it's it's caped Okay. <laughs> Superman was able to achieve peace because he ate Quest protein bars. Remember, eating Quest will also help you achieve your quest for peace. Eagles aren't good. That's Jeff Miners all over. That's phenomenal. Eagles aren't good. Fuck Philly. Eagly's pretty good. Eagly is terrific, but if Eagly ever supported the Philadelphia Eagles, then me and Peacemaker are going to have an issue. That's fair. And everyone should watch Peacemaker. It's very good. It really is. It officially solidified my belief that John Cena is a better actor than Dwayne Johnson. Because he has any range at all? Range. And he's not just incredibly charming and likable, like Dwayne Johnson is? Because he is incredibly charming (laughs) and likable? incredibly charming and likable, but he's got that one look with the eyebrow. It's a good look. It works in every scenario somehow. Like, this, this is what Dwayne Johnson looks like when he's in love. This is what Dwayne Johnson looks like when he's angry. It's the same picture. Brian raised... Well, both of his eyebrows will look like both times, but that's not important right now. It's an audio medium, Dave. I wasn't actually making the face. Oh, Brian's flexing. His shirt's off. He's all oiled up and Samoan now. (laughs) Yeah, this tattoo, three sittings. That's right. (laughs) Very intricate and large. It's unbelievable. I've never seen anything like it. Probably culturally appropriated. Without a doubt it is. On me, anyway. Not Not on him. It's a good time to announce that all of our Patreon subscriptions in April are going to be for reparations for that joke. <laughs> so good job, Brian. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Over at Lex Luthor's penthouse, a trio of arms dealers have gathered to meet and hear Luthor's plan to make a fortune rearming the world. Like immediately, like, oh, we got rid of all the nukes. Okay, how do we make money rearming everybody? It's a good question, actually. It's the next logical step. 
And just to keep logic in the building for a minute, Lex is going to use a protoplasm grown from Superman's hair strand to infiltrate a missile compound and launch the last nuke on Earth into the sun, which of course is going to then create a human-esque fetus or a Kryptonian-esque fetus that is going to immediately grow into a nuclear man. And this is where John Cryer says that him and Lex are going to be daddies. Mark Pillow plays the Oh, it's time man. to talk about Mark Pillow. Mark Pillow. Also, Nuclear Man is played by Mark Pillow, but it is voiced by Gene Hackman. For reasons. I would love for somebody to tell me what they are. I have no idea. Oh, he's got my voice. Why? Because you're his daddy? Is this Mark Pillow's only role ever? Feature film? I believe it is. I know he took the job because he thought this was going to be like his breakout performance, and he was like on a path to become the next Arnold Schwarzenegger or Sylvester right. Stallone. It's like, first of all, just hear these names. Ready? Lundgren. Schwarzenegger. <laughs> Stallone. Van Damme. Pillow. <laughs> One of these things. <laughs> Pillow. Oh, that's a tough guy. That is someone who is going to be planning an insurrection, but in the back. <laughs> like the mullet of an insurrection? <laughs> I guess so. Because I'm pretty sure a lot of the mullets were in the front. That's a good point, actually. Not a political it's podcast. It's not a political podcast. That no, being said. Did say some nice things about Canada's health care. <laughs> well, we had to. Is nice things. Right. Go get yourself some Timbits. But not at the Hojo's. I just Googled famous Canadian things. Shania Twain. Not on the list. <laughs> the things that we missed so far. Okay. In our deep love for Canada and its fine, yeah, oh, fine people. Oh, yeah. We missed bears. Oh, bears. We missed poutine. Oh, how do you, how do you miss poutine? Hiking and camping. Yeah, we got that down here, kind of. And the RCMP, which is the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, eh? Oh, the Mounties. Bowie absolutely fucking nailed it with maple syrup, <laughs> curling, hockey, and Timbits. <laughs> are Timbits just munchkins? Yes. All right. They absolutely are. Cool. But the person who's giving you those Timbits is polite and not on hour 15 of their shift at their gas station Duncan. That's fair. It's not a bad system. Maybe we should adopt it. Maybe we should. <laughs> Very pro-Canada today. For starting out very anti-Canada. Very anti-Canada. Took a quick turn. They're so charming. They really are. Just ask Ryan Reynolds. His gin kicks ass. <laughs> I'm sorry, what? His gin. Oh, his, I thought you said his chin. No. I had, I had follow-up questions, but his gin is, yeah, his gin is very good. We only mentioned chins for one person on this show. You know that, Brian. That's true, and I, I really hope he has a cameo in an upcoming Marvel movie. Oh, yes, please. Please. Multiverse of Campbell. <laughs> that would be pretty groovy. That would be arguably too much of a good thing that I'm willing to have to like just totally say, like, the MCU's over. Here yep. you go. We did <laughs> now it. We're it's done. It. <laughs> so Nuclear Man, Mark Pillow. Mark Pillow. He's a, he's a blonde boy in a costume. Mark Pillow is a fucking joke. <laughs> They had a whole explanation of how they're going to put bits of fabric into this rocket when they send it off, and it's going to grow into a costume for him. Why? Why, Why even bother? bother explaining that? Just leave it unanswered. Right? Well, then you don't get that sweet John Cryer line of, oh, it's not going to be enough to cover his bits. 
or whatever he says. It's dumb. It is dumb. John Cryer sucks so bad in this. Yeah. So let's go to a scene that's not dumb. Clark and Lacey do aerobics together. Yeah, that was a weird transition, but it's true. It's a scene. It happens. She asks him on a double date with Lois and Superman, and that's going to cause issues. Before he can even answer, she's like, okay, see ya. Why? While this trainer picks on him, which is just mean of a trainer. So mean. Well, Superman gets him back because he throws throws a barbell at him. It's heavily loaded with weight. Which is very not Superman-like. No, it's like at the end of 2 when he showed up and beat that guy up, and we were like, that's not very <laughs> Superman. not very Superman-like. At least he's consistently not like himself. That's true? I guess. I don't know anymore. <laughs> Nuclear man flies to Metropolis, and he lands at Lex's penthouse, and Lex is extremely impressed with himself. As he usually is. He's like, oh, I am so great. Look at this thing. He's got my voice. So Lex starts examining this nuclear man. And we have a lot of great one-liners on this show, <laughs> like from all the movies that we've watched. Yeah. There's 166 of them now? That's right. This line here is probably going to enter the pantheon. Of all-time greats. <laughs> because Lex is like, oh, I've birthed this. I've created this wonderful specimen. And Nuclear Man says, I am the father now. <laughs> As his way of taking back the power. <laughs> I am the father now. All right, movie. I don't know what you're doing, but I guess I keep going. I am the going. father now. I am the captain now. That's pretty much what it is. And I feel like maybe Mark Pillow needs to sue whoever that guy was. Yeah. Captain Phillips. Get on it, Mark Pillow. Sue the Hank. Wow. Wow, wow. It's breaking us a little bit. So Nuclear Man, who is the father now, <laughs> he has one major flaw. His power is drawn from the sun. So when he's not in direct sunlight, he becomes incapacitated. And this movie means direct sunlight. Yeah, it's not like Superman, who also draws his power from the sun, but is you know, weakened by the sun man for reasons. If this guy is not in direct sunlight, he is, as John Cryer puts it, he's cold. <laughs> and it's great because you see Nuclear Man, who's in front of a window when he arrives here, he just walks out of the way of the window <laughs> into and he his just shadow. drops. Yeah. It's not even into a shadow. It's just not in the sun anymore. Like he can be in a really well-lit room. And it won't matter. It's rough. He will just drop. Being a sun boy, even if you are the father. Like, if he walks down the street at the wrong time of the day, he's just going to be living in shadows. How does this man do anything? That's why he's a fly boy. He's got to fly around. That's fair, I suppose. But what if he, like, is flying around just like there's a cloud? Like, he will just drop out of the sky. Don't fly on cloudy days if you're powered by the sun. (laughs) He's checking the weather every single morning. I've had calculators that are better solar powered than this guy. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) I wonder how Superman's going to beat him. It seems like it won't be too difficult, but we'll get there. We will. At Lacey's apartment, Clark has to pull double duty as both himself and Superman for his interview slash date with Lois. And this scene, legit terrific. You know, I want to agree with you. In theory, wonderful. Pacing wise, all wrong. I agree completely. But when you look at what this movie is, start to finish, it's a highlight for sure. Absolutely it is. So Clark has to make change for his cab driver. So he goes back downstairs in the apartment building. 
And then he comes back up as Superman and he uses heat vision to perfectly cook a duck for reasons. <laughs> right? He doesn't burn it. He just perfectly cooks it. And that's enough to make Lois go, oh, no, dinner and run. And, oh, look, it's fine. But while she's running and looking at it, he goes back down, turns back into Clark. And he meets up with Lacey, and then she's like, all right, let's go back upstairs. And then he gets taken away by a bellboy, and it's a whole thing. Like, Lacey gets on an elevator, and a yeah. bellboy cart rides by, and then Christopher Reeve, the large adult man that he is, just <laughs> rides this a couple oh, no. hundred feet across the lobby of this building. And the bellboy just keeps going. Yeah. No one stops him. When he finally gets off of that thing, he runs outside. Goes through a car, turns back into Superman, goes back upstairs, and hangs out with Lois for another minute or two. Then goes and answers the door as Clark. He's back and forth. So this is like your classic sitcom, two places at once gag. I liked it quite a bit. Very good. But the dinner gets interrupted when Lex transmits a supersonic message just to Superman, leading him to the penthouse, which it's interesting that Lex can send this message and be like, I'm on your left, Superman. How does he know exactly where Superman is? That blew my mind, too. He's like, look to your left. And Superman does, and it's the Empire State Building. It's like, that is a lucky guess. Right? (laughs) I could have been anywhere in the world, and you were just like, on your left. Like, eventually, I feel like he'd be like, look to your left. Do you see the big building there? No? No. Look look to your left again. Keep turning. the big building there now? All right, look to your left again. (laughs) I can't turn left. That would have killed him if he had to go Magnum, and he couldn't. Yeah, yeah. Superman tells Lois and Lacey that he has to leave immediately because there's trouble afoot, and they don't seem to notice that Clark is also now gone. They never notice. It's like, come on. Everyone turns stupid all the time. Superman's got to go. I guess Clark is not going to be here either, but we don't know why. He got taken away by the bellboy. Who knows where he is now? He was back upstairs when all this happened. I forgot that he went back already. What a memorable scene. The highlight of the movie. That's right. That's a direct quote out of my idiot mouth. (laughs) I have another actual IMDb trivia fact. All right. There is a Twitter page petitioning Warner Brothers for a release of a director's cut similar. That's right. It says similar to the Snyder Cut campaign. Is it to get the 45 minutes back in the movie? Release the Fury Cut. No, thank you. The man's 89 years old. Will you just let him be? Just let all this stuff be. You don't need to release the whatever cut every time you don't like something. <laughs> do you really think that Warner Brothers are going to spend the money to like redo the post-production on this movie? Because they're not. Well, probably not be that expensive anymore, but still. Apparently, this is a really popular movie for people who do project re-edits and their own like home-baked after special effects. They try to improve Superman 4. That's like a whole, there's a whole community online that's just dedicated to improving Superman 4. That seems actually a great project to do it with. Feels like it'd be a lot of fun. There's a lot of really good bones in order to work with if you want to learn. Yeah, there's definitely an opportunity for improvement. Oh, yes. (laughs) So Superman goes to his left, to Lex's penthouse, and he's immediately confronted by his new enemy, Nuclear Man. And the two of them are immediately locked in battle, and Nuclear Man's like, all right, I'm going to destroy you, but first, I'm going to have some fun. I don't even know what that means. It means they're going on a world tour of destruction, and Nuclear Man's going to blow up part of the Great Wall of China, and Superman's going to fix it with his famous brick vision power. Yep, they gave Superman a new power, and it is 
rebuilding things that were broken, I guess. He's got masonry vision. They did it for the budget. They just ran the footage back, and then those blocks are just getting reassembled on the wall. <laughs> Magic. They occasionally go into space, too. Like, mid-fight, they just go yeah. really, really far into space, and then they're back on Earth fighting again. I like to think, now there's no way this is accurate, but I like to think that Superman is bringing Nuclear Man up into space to, you know, minimize civilian casualties. I like the way you're thinking about it. I don't think that's the reason why they did it. No, I don't think so. I either. don't have a better answer, though. <laughs> I don't think anybody in this movie would have a better answer. No! They're just like, I yeah, think we, that's true. We had the set, we had the strings, we're like, let's go for it. Might as well. So Nuclear Man freezes him in a block of ice, and then he goes and sets off a volcano. So Superman breaks out of the block of ice and goes and chops off the top of a mountain and corks the volcano. Because that seems like the logical way to stop a volcano. No, it's definitely not going to build up pressure and cause a much worse explosion. Exactly! Oh, Logic died! <laughs> Logic, what are you, are you okay? Logic's not moving. Oh, no. Should I go check on Logic? I'll wait till we're done talking about I'm the I'm just going to say- I'm best, sure he'll be fine. Best to let Logic rest until the movie's over. <laughs> He's probably exhausted. Don't want to cause any unnecessary trauma. He's already dead. Allegedly. Allegedly. Finally, Nuclear Man takes the Statue of Liberty and drops it over Metropolis. And Superman catches it in time, but it leaves him vulnerable to Nuclear Man's best attack, his radioactive scratch. <laughs> he has his nails that just- Grow? He has magical fingernails that, you know, when he when he goes Super Saiyan, he, his nails get longer. But then he just scratches Superman's neck, and Superman yeah. is just, like, falling now. Yeah, he's done. He got scratched in the back of the neck, and he's like, nope, I got nothing left in me. It is weird. He manages to get the Statue of Liberty back where it belongs. It would have been kind of neat if he, like, put it the wrong way, though, where it's just, like, welcoming New Jersey now. <laughs> it's just it's facing inland. I love it. <laughs> it's like the total wrong thing for it, but yeah, have a little fun with it. Turn your back on those huddled masses. <laughs> That's right. That's what they say. <laughs> <laughs> so Nuclear Man, you know, kicks him into the sky and he just goes flying and his cape falls off and it's flapping in the wind. And we're meant to believe that Superman, he just got defeated by a scratching man. Maybe Zod not and Ursa should have tried scratching him instead of doing all the punches. That's been the secret the whole time. Fingernails. That's right. They have a natural level of, of kryptonite in them. Yeah, let's go with that. That's just as believable as anything it's else like in this movie. Beta carotene, kryptonite. It's got to get those healthy nails. You have to. That's why the manicurist is Superman's biggest enemy. When you think about it. <laughs> why does that feel like it would be an actual comic villain from like, the mid 70s <laughs> that's because in the 70s they had just a lot of bullshit villains <laughs> oh no the manicurist it totally checks out so superman's cape is delivered to the daily planet for reasons again they're just like i don't know if it's superman related bring it to the daily planet they do stories about him well david warfield the man who bought the paper said he bought it so apparently it was for sale already somebody was like hey look what i found over at the backwards of liberty so we're going to sell this instead of donating it to the giant paper mache exhibit <laughs> right, that doesn't have, a, have hair anymore. There's a Superman museum, and they're like, hey, I found his cape. Why don't we just sell it to the newspaper? 
So the Daily Planet runs a headline that Superman is dead, and Lois is like, that's too far. I quit. And she takes the cape and she leaves. It's a weird storm out. It really is. She's like, I'm taking this with me because you don't deserve it. Where are you going to bring that there, Lois? What's your plan here? Oh, well, it's funny you ask where she's going to bring it. But first, David Warfield, he's going to put Lacey in charge because nepotism. And then he's going to tell her to fire Clark because he hasn't shown up for work or called. This guy. This guy. So Lois goes to check on Clark, who's very sick. He looks very sick. He looks ill. And I don't think this is a way that anybody's ever seen Clark because, you know, he's secretly a Superman. That's right. For reasons, Lois goes and gives an impassioned speech to Clark about how she feels about Superman. And also for reasons, she leaves the cape with him. She says something along the lines of, hey, if you know anyone who can use this, it would be real great right now. Okay, bye. Okay, bye. Is this movie, I don't think this movie is trying to be like, hey, Lois knows because Lois doesn't know. It's very obvious throughout the movie that Lois doesn't know. The movie here is kind of saying Lois knows. You think the movie's that smart? Logic is literally dead. He died. I watched it happen. But the Lois character is also kind of funny because her role in the 45 minutes that was cut is kind of like a sister type character to Clark and Superman, where Lacey was supposed to be like the big love interest. That's wild. It doesn't help this scenario at all. I'm just trying to find any way to justify anything that just happened. It's very confusing. But Lois brings Clark the cape. That's right. And she's like, I love Superman. And if you know Superman, give him this cape. Okay, bye. Very weird. After she leaves, it becomes clear that Superman is suffering from some kind of rapid aging, I guess. Because, you know, he's got white hair now. Exactly. So he takes out that green crystal that he pocketed earlier. You know, he rubs his face on it or something. (laughs) It's, again, weird. Totally unclear what happens here. No idea. He's like talking to it too. I, As he's like on a balcony maybe or whatever it was. He's he's an old man talking to a piece of green glass. And that's a scene. Feels like a good enough time for a caped trivia fact, right? You might as well. We're completely off the rails already. The film was originally titled Superman 4, The Quest for Reese's Pieces, but the name was changed after E.T. publicly stated E.T. phone lawyer. It's completely true again. Look it up. I, I dare you do. I don't know how these get approved. I love it. <laughs> that was the first one I submitted, and that was the one I was like, surely they're not going to approve that. Well, I read it on IMDb in the trivia facts section. It's very exciting whenever things are approved. <laughs> <laughs> With Superman out of the action, Lex begins raking in money from his arms deals. And then Nuclear Man sees Lacey's picture of the paper, and he's like, I must have her. Because, you know, Metropolis, very small city. It's the smallest. So he goes hunting for Lacey, and he gets to the Daily Planet, and right there in the doorway is a fully healed Superman. So I guess the green crystal thing helped? I don't know. They don't, I don't show know. it. They just show him showing up fine. He says, I'm fine. You're never going to get her. It's like, how did you know he was going after her? Right? How does anybody? Everybody knows what everybody else is thinking in this movie, and I don't know how. But then after he says, you're never going to get her, Nuclear Man just starts using his hands to throw fire at people. Yeah, he's just like flipping cars and starting fires and levitating people while Superman just stands on the side going, no, don't do that. And Superman could unlevitate people, apparently. Apparently. They're not even made of brick. I don't know how he does it. I have no idea. But 
they play the film forward they play the film in reverse and you're just supposed to believe things people are running backwards at points it's very <laughs> weird it's mayhem it really is and i was fascinated by it and you know because of all of these swat cars getting tur- upended superman's like fine fine i'll bring you to lacy because he knows that the nuclear man wants to see lacy for reasons exactly for reasons but instead he lures him into an elevator if you know anything about elevators there's no sun in an elevator (laughs) (laughs) there's no sun in the lobby either what is he doing i don't know but nuclear man's in the elevator and now he doesn't have sun access so he shuts down well clark punches the button of the elevator and that makes the whole elevator just go dark right and then he goes up to the roof And the the only thing on the roof is the elevator access. And he pulls the elevator literally out of the building. Yep. And then he flies up to the moon. And instead of gently placing it on the moon, he drops it just on the moon. There is an entire side of the moon that is dark. (laughs) The moon does not spin. There's a dark side of the moon. Yeah. And what Superman says is, I'm going to drop him right next to the American flag, because America. Because America. Obviously, when you throw an elevator onto the moon, it's going to break a little bit. You're going to get a little crack somewhere, probably in the door region. And when the sun shines, that nuclear man, he's going he's gonna to catch the sun rays. He's going to wake up, and it's time for a slow-motion fight on the moon. And it is a very slow-motion fight on the moon. It also made me ask, Superman, why are you just walking around the moon? <laughs> right? What? <laughs> What makes you think you can gravity up here? I didn't understand any of it. And they both gravitied pretty hard on this moon as they're throwing each other until they don't gravity. Until they don't. It's really weird because, like, it's slow motion, but it's not slow, slow motion. They're like, it's almost like when you pretend you're doing slow motion. Well, it's kind of like in 1969 when they did the fake moon landing. Like, that looked better. Yeah. Not much, but it looked better. But then again... That had Stanley Kubrick directing it and not Sidney J. Fury. <laughs> it's important to differentiate the two. It's funny you mention Kubrick and Fury because Stanley Kubrick actually did credit Sidney J. Fury's movie, The Boys and Company C from 1978, as a major influence on Full Metal Jacket. I did not see that coming. Which came out the same year as Superman IV, The Quest for Peace. How's that for your IMDb trivia fact? Wow. <laughs> There's always like one proper interesting one. Oh, no, it's not actually on IMDb. Oh, well, that makes sense. I should submit it. I bet there's just so much bullshit on the IMDb trivia facts for this movie. And I know we've added to it, but there's still. There's a reason that everything I've pulled has been suspected caped. Fair enough. So during their fight on the moon, Nuclear Man buries Superman. And not like like horizontally, like on the beach. He pounds him into the sand, standing upright like he's the American flag. (laughs) He treats it like he's the hammer and Superman is a nail going into a piece of wood. But it's not that at all. It is Superman being hammered into (laughs) the lunar surface. It's very Looney Tunes. It really is. So now that Superman is buried in the moon, Nuclear Man flies down to Earth, immediately finds Lacey, and for whatever reason, flies her back into cheap space. And you might be thinking, how did he bring a lady into space? Oh, How no. can she breathe? She's going to die. she's being dragged around space. But fear not, listeners. This movie won't address that, and she's just fine. She is fine. You can actually hear her breathing, so you know she's okay. And also, as we're about to learn, there's gravity in space, and you could fall off of whatever you're holding on to. 
because Superman is going to manage to get out of his moon hole. Yep, he climbs out of the ground. He resets the American flag of on the course. moon. Got to take the time to do that. He decides, hey, I need to block out the sun, so he moves the moon. He pushes the moon in front of the sun, causing an eclipse. Which causes Nuclear Man, who's flying with this human lady in space, <laughs> to freeze up. And now you have Lacey dangling off of Nuclear Man, right, holding on gravity. for dear life in space. <laughs> <laughs> and Superman just saves her, all willy-nilly. I don't think we're going to be able to resuscitate logic. No, logic is actually decomposing now. And there are coyotes. <laughs> Picking apart his remains. <laughs> I just received the word that uh, Logic's children have died. <laughs> I can't believe it either. Generational Logic death. Superman brings Lacey down to Earth. He just pops right back up, grabs Nuclear Man, says, I got to figure this out because that moon's going to move sometime soon, I think. Maybe. Sure, why I not? I don't know. But surely there must be some sort of sunlight between the space and the Earth because he, the moon can only block out in one direction. I don't know. I'm trying to use logic and... You gotta stop that Logic is extinct <laughs> for forever. Logic is completely gone and has been since 1987. But he brings Nuclear Man back down to Earth, drops him into a nuclear hole at a power plant, and all the lights get real bright for just a hot second. It just generates so much power when you add Nuclear Man to the nuclear power plant. That's it. That's, that's how you get him. It was in the name, how to beat him the whole time. Nuclear man got caught. Back in the Daily Planet, Perry White has managed to secure funds at the bank to buy back control of the newspaper, so we're wrapping up the B-plot, too. We sure are, and he's like, ah, you ever seen a hostile takeover? Here it is, bitch. Yeah, that's what we did to you earlier in the movie. Well, I'm doing it to you back. I'm doing it back to you. It's my newspaper. Ah, <laughs> a hostile took over the hostile takeover. And I love how, like, they roll out the cart that just has the newly printed newspapers on it and it says we're back yep we're back like you never went away Who, who's back i don't <laughs> who's this paper for there's a big picture oh maybe it was it's got a big picture of superman on it and they thought he was dead so maybe we nope nope trying to logic my way out of it and there's no way don't to do try it. it's not worth it superman has a big old press conference and he makes an announcement that he goofed and he can't be responsible for keeping the peace for the entire planet. And if we want peace so bad, we'll figure it out ourselves. So basically, this movie served no purpose. None whatsoever. The quest for peace. He's like, yeah, basically, I'm, I'm not the guy. You guys got to get go in your own quest for peace. Yeah, this, this movie happens. And it doesn't need to happen. And weirdly <laughs> enough, the disembodied heads of the dead Kryptonians were right. Yeah, we should have just gotten out of here. Superman... He's going to take Lenny to Boys Town, where a priest happily takes him in. The priest is way, way, He's like, way too happy to take him in. Get John Cryer and his flock of seagulls haircut in here immediately, please. This is Boys Town. So then Superman takes Lex back to prison, where everybody's like, oh, Mozart's back. Surely that's, that can't be all the reaction. There's severe consequences, I think, for what he's done. But appropriately, Superman says, see you in 20. And then oh, because the franchise went away. For, for 20 years. Oh, that's very good. Yeah, and then he flies off into the sunset. But I like how he talks to like, the one guard that's there. He's like, take him away, sheriff. Lock him up. I'm so happy you guys were working in the same quarry where I found him. <laughs> that's not even where he found him. 
That's true. How did he know where to bring him? I don't know. Everybody in this movie knows more than they need to or should. I feel like at this point, you know, the scene in the office where they had the CPR training and then Dwight cuts the face off of the yeah. CPR dummy and wears it. Yeah. I feel like we're both wearing pieces of like logic's face, like Hannibal Lecter <laughs> style. <laughs> Just 100%. parading as logic. Yeah. Full on like Texas Chainsaw Massacre wearing the face of logic. Texas logic massacres its own thing. This isn't a political podcast. My, my bad. My bad. You know what? Let's close it off with one last caped IMDb trivia fact. Okay. <laughs> the blue screen from the flying scenes in this film had to enter therapy after production wrapped due to its being abused on set. Also completely true. That blue screen hasn't worked since. Needs a better union. <laughs> but I am so happy they did the classic Superman flying away into the sunset right. and in space, yada, 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 because that is Superman 4. The Quest for Peace from 1987, directed by Sidney fucking Fury. I'm going to give it to him because he got <laughs> through this somehow. He managed, against all odds, to put together what's almost a movie. It is so close to being a movie, and even the credits at the end of this thing are insane because it's a lot like if you've been swimming around a pool all afternoon and with your eyes open <laughs> underwater and you come out of the water, it's like chlorine is just fogged up your vision because that's what the end credits look like. That's exactly, I was trying to figure out like, all right, am I are my glasses dirty or is, are the credits really this bad? They're that bad. So blurry. Brian, I like this movie. I thoroughly enjoyed my time watching it. I don't know if it's because I liked the movie or I just enjoyed the process of watching it. Maybe that's what it is, but maybe I'm not differentiating between the two because enjoyment is enjoyment in any form. That's true. I don't think you need to differentiate. Shit, I enjoyed this movie. It's a horrible movie. It's, it's so poorly made. So bad. But and it's yet. one of those car wrecks that you just cannot look away from. And at the end of it, you're just like, yeah, all right. <laughs> I did not hate that 90 minutes. Maybe I'll do that again. <laughs> and I might, which is the crazy part. I've done it twice this week. I have two, admittedly, today, alone. <laughs> you want to find out what the rest of the world thinks about this thing? I would love to find out. Rotten Tomatoes 1 to 100. What are you thinking? 20. 10. What? Audience score is 16. Wow. Roger Ebert. May have seen it. I don't know. I couldn't find a review from him. The only time he mentioned it is in his Superman Returns review, and he said, this is a stinker. Yeah. It's probably for the best. Although I'm sure he would have had some great things to say about it. Probably. <laughs> But some critics who did see it. You have Jay Boyar from the Orlando Sentinel. He said, Superman 4 is cinematic kryptonite. Not only could it kill the Superman series, it might also leave filmgoers feeling weak. Oh, it's really playing into the lore with that review. And Dessen Thompson from the Washington Post said, More sluggish than a funeral barge. Cheaper than a sale at Kmart. It's a nerd. It's a shame. It's Superman 4. <laughs> cheaper than a sale at Kmart is might be the harshest thing anybody's ever said about anything. He crushed it, and I very much appreciated that. That's amazing. Our good friends on Letterboxd, they saw this thing. Oh, I bet. And it was weird how many people enjoyed this. <laughs> because from June 12, 2013, am I the only person on Earth who doesn't think this movie is completely terrible? Like, <laughs> it's almost good. I almost want to recommend it. At the very least, there are things in it worth recommending. 
it's not that bad, mostly. And the bad parts are kind of hilarious. <laughs> the bad parts are insanely hilarious. And I think that's might be the most redeeming thing about the movie is how bad the bad is. I completely agree. And so does this person from June 25th, 2013. Is my brain broken? Is something wrong? Why am I not giving this film one star? Why am I not writing it on caps? Why didn't I hate this like everyone was telling me to? <laughs> it was awful. It was so bad. It shat so hard on the Donner film's legacy. It was so profoundly goofy, but I didn't hate it. I think that's the most shocking thing here. Yeah. I was anticipating going to this movie going like, all right, here we go. This is going to be a slog. Got to get through it. And then I was like having a blast while watching it. I was never bored. No, there's no boring moments. From June 16th, 2021. The best part of this movie is Superman talking about how great and safe the New York City subway system is. <laughs> I like how people honed in on that one. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> From June 13th, 2020, while these Superman films got progressively worse, at least Christopher Reeve as Superman was never a weak part of them. That's true. It's completely true. He was still crushing it in his dual identities. And proof that it wasn't his fault. The last one I have is from June 19th, 2013. Broad survives in space without a suit. I love movies, but not that much. <laughs> We found the line. We did find the line. How about we give this thing a super stuff score? And I am so curious about what's about to happen. Let's do it. Start off with story and motivation. It's a quest for peace. It's in the title. Yeah, but... Does he ever actually achieve peace? I think he does momentarily. And then it's immediately gone. Well, it's because Lex Luthor's just like, all right, there's no more. Let's make some. And Let's then it works some. really well for him because then Lex Luthor makes a shitload of money. And then Superman goes, you know what? I'm not the guy. <laughs> he could just do it again. He could, in it theory. It seemed real easy to get all these nuclear weapons into space, into the space net, <laughs> and throw it at the sun or whatever. <laughs> the problem is he only had one giant net. That's true, which we didn't even question how he got. <laughs> Did he make it? I don't even know. I don't even know. I'm going to go with a .25. I think that's, that's maybe generous. But it's I'm, very generous. .25. Hero. It's Superman. It is Superman. And his quest for peace is a quest for inner peace, right? Is it? No, it's not. <laughs> it's very clearly not. He made a gigantic speech to the UN. That's not what it was. Nope. It was, it was a quest for world peace, even though his Kryptonian elders were like, don't do it. And then he did it. He was like, I shouldn't have done it. <laughs> 0.25. He stopped Nuclear Man. It's right. 0.25. Villains. Nuclear Man and Lex Luthor. No, actually, Nuclear Man is very henchy. Except he's the dad now. That's true. He did say that he's the dad now. <laughs> I want to give him a point five because he is a match for Superman, but he's played by a man with the last name Pillow. Pillow. He's voiced by Gene Hackman for reasons. So zero. I think zero. Parents. Still dead. Still dead. Full-blown one. So dead that he's got to sell the farm. Maybe. Possibly. We'll never know. We will never know. That's a one, though, for parents. Female characters. You got Lois. You got Lacey. That's it. That is it. And they are both there. And they're both in love with half of the main character. 
I'm going to go 0.25 to acknowledge that they're there. Lacey does have a bit of character development. She does. Her shoulder pads get smaller throughout the movie. It's the weirdest way to show it, but it's true. (laughs) By that last scene where she confronts her dad, be like, no, journalism. She barely has any shoulder pads at all. For the 80s, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, 0.25. I feel okay with that. I do too. Setting. It's New York City. Let's just call it what it is. They're not even hiding it. They do call it Metropolis. There's a Statue of Liberty that they call the Statue of Liberty. That's true. There is that, that they drop on Metropolis. And also, you can tell that none of this was filmed in New York. It's very true. It's very English. All of it. I'm going to go with a zero. I think a zero is warranted here. I think it might be generous, but zero. Style and tone. It's a mess. It is among the worst we've seen. I want to go minus one and call it a day. Okay. Because we could debate this thing for a long, long time. There's a lot to debate, and I think just calling it a negative one and moving on is the best move for everybody involved. It's a disaster of epic proportions, and it very much does not work. (laughs) Very, very, very much. That is putting it very generously. And if you want an example, ask Christopher Reeve. You can't now, but ask him in the afterlife about his butt. About his butt? Because of the way that he flew in this, they had to use special, I guess, underwear, if you will, in order to get the harness around him. Yeah. So he's got a lot of junk in that trunk (laughs) in a lot of shots in this movie. And they were doing way less to edit it out. Well, they didn't even try to edit it out. They just reused a lot of the flying shots over and over and over again. Phenomenal. Because of budget. Right. That's why he has that same blue screen tinge in every scene where he's flying right the camera. Everything. It is brutal. <laughs> it's, ooh, yeah. So, yeah, negative one for style and tone. Music. It's still Superman music. John Williams did not have anything to do with this movie. It was done by Alexander Courage who is a frequent orchestrator for John Williams and Jerry Goldsmith. And uh, it's John Williams' music, but not used the way John Williams would. It's not, but I did like it. I mean, it's hard not to like it. Let's go .5. Let's give him a little bit of respect. Yeah, .5. One-liners. I want to start at two for I Am the Father now. (laughs) Wow, logic really is dead. (laughs) He's completely dead. I Am the Father now. (laughs) No, I kind of want to go 0.25 just for that line alone, because it's that good. It was a good line. It's the only one I can think of. I agree. Nothing else happens in this movie. 0.25. And the final category is impact on the genre. It killed Superman for 20 years. 20 years. It was such a bomb. It killed Spider-Man. It absolutely did. Canon Films had the right to Spider-Man. They were trying to get into production based on the success that this film was supposed to have. (laughs) and it was to the point that they were pursuing tom cruise as spider-man that's wild lauren bacall as aunt may what and bob hoskins as doc ock oh come on we were robbed we got so close to getting that masterpiece that would have done weird things to the current landscape of superhero movies if that movie came out in the 90s so actually maybe this had a giant impact on the genre then that it killed it so hard that it gave us the landscape that we have today. It's an interesting argument to make, especially with Batman coming out two years after it. Is Batman the same movie without this bombing so hard? 
is Sam Raimi's Spider-Man the same movie without this bombing so hard? Sam Raimi's Spider-Man probably doesn't even happen if this movie doesn't bomb so hard. One. Shit. It's an enormous impact because it was such a pile of shit. Insane. Well, that's going to give Superman 4, The Quest for Peace, a total score of two and a half. Probably too high. Might be high. But I like it, damn it. Deal with it. Exactly. We gave a lot of very generous .25s in there along the way, and it added up. And we finally talked about it. And we finally talked about it. And this is normally the part where I say, Brian, what are we talking about next week? And your answer now is, not a damn thing. Absolutely nothing. We are finally taking a real break. I'm going off and having my third kid. This is not going to have time for this. You're the father now. For a little bit, I'm the father again. <laughs> I hope. I haven't seen the kid yet. <laughs> We're going to find out the hard way. <laughs> oh, boy. This took a turn. But it is true. Next week will be the first week you haven't had a new K-Podcasters episode since October 26, 2018. Holy crap. Yeah. Pretty wild when you say it out loud, right? I think we've, we might have earned this one. I think we have. But fear not, we are going to be providing you with some caped classics to get you through the break. And we still might sprinkle in something here or there. Not making promises. We're not. But, but hev- heavily implying things. Yeah, it's been discussed, so fear not. Fear not. Stay tuned to our social medias, because you'll find out everything you need to right there, including our tentative return date. It won't be too long. It'll be long enough for me to get my shit together with a new kid. <laughs> Yeah, it seems like the right amount of time. Right. (laughs) Generic amount of time. And during the break, we will still be posting Patreon episodes every month, like we have all this time. Not to make it sound like it's going to be months long of a break. (laughs) No, it's not going to be as long as we're making it sound. But any break for us feels like a long break because, you know, October 26, 2018, it's been a long time. This month, it is Young Frankenstein. And for April, we're going to be doing Jurassic Park. That is going to be so damn exciting, especially with the new one coming out. Oh, man, I can't wait to talk dinosaurs. It's finally time to, you know, see that CGI for what it is. Constantly compared everything to 1993 because of this movie. It is about time we talked about it. I'm going to hold on to my butt, waiting for hold on to your butts. Well, hold on to your butt until we hold on to our butts. Exactly. So if you want content during. The rest of March and in April, make sure you're on our Patreon, especially during the month of March. We have made up to the $409 donation mark, so we're, we're just so close to hitting that $500 stretch goal to be talking about two towers on the main show. Loosen up those purse strings. It goes to a good cause. Every single dollar from Patreon is going to be donated to Veterans, Inc., And also, it's going to torture Brian in a fun way that I love. I love watching him squirm. It's terrific. And knowing that we're going to talk about Legolas surfing down a shield downstairs in the two towers, man, it's going to be, I can't wait. And Mm. trees, walking and talking. If you hit $500, I will happily talk about all of it. And you know what, Brian? I'm going to lay it on the line right now. Oh. That's a $500 stretch goal for two towers. If we get to $600... Here on the main channel, we'll talk about the room. Oh, oh, that's excellent. That one has been on my list of Patreon uh, possibilities for a while. And we will do it on the main channel. Oh, hi, patrons. No. Oh, hi, everyone. Right. 
There you go. Gauntlet's laid, baby. So there are your marching orders for our time off. In the meantime, rate, review, subscribe, and uh, join us on our, our social media. We'll, we'll be sure to keep you updated on everything that's happening on our journey back to giving you your weekly episodes. Also on our social media, every time we do an episode, we throw up a post asking for your questions and comments. And we got one! Phil Hudson Hawkins writes in. He says, why doesn't Superman use his time reversal powers to solve all his problems? <laughs> I've never seen this movie, but can you explain how different this movie's plot would be if Supes just spun the world backwards to defeat Lex Luthor? It'd be a lot shorter. It would be so much shorter. Logic would be reanimated in the middle <laughs> of the floor over here. Just be hanging out like, hey, I'm Logic. How are you guys doing? I'm certainly not dead like I should be at the end of this movie. I feel like rewinding time is interfering, though. It is greatly interfering, but also would rewinding time affect a nuclear man? Like, he could just fly alongside him going backwards true. in time. They just race backwards, and then they end up going farther back in time and then fighting with dinosaurs. It'd be a whole different movie. Completely different movie. Also, that wouldn't be too out of place for this movie, I feel like. That's true. Like, I don't know how it is missing a dinosaur when you think about it. It's the only thing that the four Superman movies didn't have. Poor Christopher Reeve. Never like his to time to shine, a dino. but he never got to act opposite a dinosaur. <laughs> to answer your question, Phil, yeah, it's a fucking cop out. It's a cop out in the first movie, but a cop out here too. But it would have got the job done. It would have definitely, maybe, probably, possibly gotten the job done. Could have, yeah. Who's to say? The writer of the movie. That's right, Phil. Thank you for your question. Brian, you got anything else? That's it for me. Fantastic. And to give you guys a little bit of hint what we're coming back with... Same pod time. Same pod. We'll be back. 